0: Richard Sylvester, thank you for joining me. You are an author, Confessions of a Seeker. I hope you die soon. The Book of No One, amongst others. Uh, Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Okay, Alex. Good to see you. Richard, non-duality. I have been talking to people on my own seeking journey for the last uh, probably six months or so, really diving into it um, with a view to attaining something. And I know that that is something... That cannot be done. So, Richard, what is non-duality?
1: Well, the first thing I'll say is that if you're lucky, which is a ridiculous sentence, but nevertheless, if you're lucky, you might lose something. You certainly won't gain anything, but you may lose something. So the simplest answer to the question, what is non-duality? It's seeing that there is no self. Seeing non-duality is seeing that there is no self. So when I say if you're lucky you might lose something, what you might lose is yourself, or what you might lose is your self, Mm -hmm. which in a way means not that you might lose that, but that it might be seen that your self does not exist and has never existed.
0: She has a western relatively young man, that's very difficult to, for my mind in particular to, to comprehend, I've studied the psychologies and the philosophies and, and everything else. What you're saying there it seems like a complete antithesis of everything that I've been conditioned with. Well, I can I
1: just throw in firstly, that it's not difficult to understand, it's impossible to understand. Yeah, but that no understanding is needed. And secondly, yes, you're absolutely right. This is the absolute opposite that everything that I and you and we, pretending that there are such people, everything that we have been conditioned mm. to understand, we've been conditioned to understand that, you know, I am an individual, a person, a self living within a world or a universe if you like which is separate from me so that's that's if you like that's duality that's separation the duality means two things which mean you know these two things are there's the world as one thing if you like and there's me as a separate thing living inside or within that world so the suggestion from here is that that is, let's call it an appearance or an illusion or unreal, that in actuality there is no separate individual as one thing living within a world which is another thing. So there's Mm. no duality, there is simply non-duality.
0: So what is it within the apparent human that perceives there is a separate entity there.
1: I think that's an impossible question to answer. The nearest that I could get to it is that there's a kind of energy of contraction that seems to take place. I could suggest, I mean, this is a bit of it. Well, I'm going to say this is a bit of a story. Everything that we're saying is a bit of a story. So here comes another (laughs) bit of a story. We could say that the newborn child is born into non-duality, is born into oneness. There's no sense of separation in the newborn child. And at a certain point in our development, it's pointless to argue about or really to even discuss when that might be. At a certain point in our development, there'll probably be a lot of air quotations during this conversation. Sorry about that. Uh, At a certain point during uh, our development, a kind of separation seems to happen. It doesn't really happen, but it seems to happen. In other words, what seemed to be just everything being experienced becomes me experiencing everything else. So there's now two things. There's me, the experiencer. And there's the world out there full of experiences. And that just seems to be what naturally, as in usually, occurs round about the age of who knows, two, three, four, who
0: knows. Mm. And and what you're suggesting in regards to no self, uh, I don't really know what else to call it, in regards to no self, is that something that you? Would think you can work towards, or is it something completely spontaneous, just a a natural happening?
1: Yeah, you see. So what I'm saying is that there is no you who can work towards anything. So there may well be the uh, feeling for the apparent person. There may well be the feeling for the apparent person that I can absolutely work towards resolving my dilemma my unhappiness if you like whatever Mm. that might be about and in one way that's what creates a spiritual seeker and i mean Mm. i was a very very sincere spiritual seeker i would say for probably about 30 years yeah because there wasn't any recognition here that that which was seeking didn't actually exist that recognition hadn't happened and couldn't happen So the suggestion from here is it is quite likely that, let's say, for the character, the personality, the character of Richard, the character of Alex, there'll be a feeling of dissatisfaction, there'll be a natural desire to end that feeling of dissatisfaction, and there'll be a seeking for something that will bring about the end of that dissatisfaction. All of that is completely futile. All of that is simply part of the dream which seems to exist. In saying that it's completely futile. I'm not saying anything negative about it. It doesn't matter. I'm just Mm. pointing out that the search by my illusory self to end myself is is hopeless. It's it's futile. And Mm. yet there may spontaneously arise the seeing that we're talking about here, the possibility of seeing that this and that are not separate. This and the computer I'm speaking into, this and the image of Alex I'm speaking to, this and everything is not, as it appears to be, separate. Mm There's it's just what we're really all we're talking about, all we're communicating about is just the possibility of that sense that there's a separate person here, simply collapsing spontaneously. And the next word I'm going to say is really, really importantly, uncaused.
0: So there is no cause and effect.
1: So there's no cause for the collapse of the apparent person. Now, we could go on from that, and we could say there is no cause and effect in any case, and then that might bring us on to other ideas. I'm sure you're already familiar with the suggestion that there's no time Mm -hmm. in which cause and effect could take place, but that's all a bit abstract and rarefied, you know, for the moment. We could just notice, yes, that where the collapse of this as a person, this is feeling itself to be separate from everything,
0: is concerned. There's no cause and effect. So Richard, who has written the books I mentioned at the beginning, there was no writer of the books. Yes. It just happened.
1: It just happened. We could say if you like something. Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is if I don't know if this is confusing or clarifying. I don't know if it helps or not. And one thing I want to say here is it absolutely just doesn't matter. You know, there's no intention here to help. There's no intention here to clarify if that happens, it simply happens. But what I I could say, uh, you know, either you could say, well, we could say various things. No book was ever written. There was no time in which a book could be written. We could say a book wrote itself. We could Mm. say a character, a kind of two-dimensional character called Richard, wrote a book, a phrase I particularly like, which is not my phrase, it's somebody else's is we could say, this is a kind of divine puppet. And that Alex is a kind of divine puppet. And we could say a book was apparently written by a divine puppet, you Mm. could say, I'm going to say two things, you could say each and every one of those sentences is complete nonsense. you could equally say each and every one of those sentences is as clear a description as it's possible to give. I will stand by both of those assertions, I'm going to assert that what I have just said for the last minute and a half is both complete nonsense. (laughs) And also the clearest description That anyone could give. I defy any other speaker on (laughs) non-duality. There are a lot of us now. I I defy any other speaker on non-duality to give a clearer description or to give a description which is more complete nonsense than what I've said. (laughs) I hope by now you and the possible listeners and viewers are beginning to kind of tune in to the sort of in a way appalling paradox of what we're talking about. Mm. And it's appalling if we see it as appalling. But in another way, maybe we may be tuning into the fact that actually, this is also very light. Yeah. Mm. Uh, It could be great fun. And part of that is around the fact that partly because of the impossibility of communicating about this, it absolutely doesn't matter what yeah. I say, what you say, what you ask me, or what my
0: answers are. It doesn't matter. And this is why the podcast is called The Dancing Paradox, because of exactly what you're, you're suggesting there. I have, I've i never been able to use language, which seems to trip me up at every possibility, to lay up what you've, you've essentially said there. What that leads me towards for some reason, is purpose. Uh, I know sitting here, I get up out of bed, and if I don't have something to move towards, I feel like there's no motivation. So I suppose I'm asking, from, from your perspective there, is there a purpose of anything, or is it just not, or there is purpose for no one?
1: No, there's no there's no purpose in anything. So, I mean there, I mean, there, again, there's a character here, we might say, if we want to. It's just mm. a story. We could say there's a character or it's your fine puppet called Richard. Yeah. You know, and Richard may have a dental. You see, Rich, you see, here we are. One thing that maybe we'll get on to there will be a denial here that there's any such thing as time or place. And yet the character, Richard, may wake up. I have a dental appointment two miles away in an hour. So the character gets up in time and space and moves through time and space to the dental appointment. So for the character, there may well be motivation, purpose, who knows, but in actuality, of course, not everything is simply apparently happening. In 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 practice, therefore, what may happen for you know the, when the, for the character Richard, when the character Richard thought he was a person, he probably took quite a lot more things very seriously and thought they mm. were very important. So what may happen is that when the person collapses, and if you like, the character is seen for what it is, a lot of stuff will still go on, but it's quite likely that it won't be taken so seriously anymore.
0: So uh, I don't like hypotheticals. It's very difficult. But it, if you look around the world now, for example, there's a, the vast majority of people would say, oh, my God, the, the world's in an absolute mess. Uh, but I, when I sort of listen to people say that, I go, well, it couldn't be any other way. Uh, it's simply just an unfoldment, if you like, for the lack of a better term. I don't know how to say it. Um, how do you like suggest that the world is not wrong?
1: Well, I just pick up that phrase you you just said, and in a way that's enough, you know, it, it, nothing could, I'll, I'll put it slightly differently, but essentially, I'm just agreeing with what you said, nothing can possibly be other than what it is. And in a way, I think that is a deeply challenging sentence, but in another way, it's also in the realm of what I often call the bleeding obvious. Quite a lot of what is said by myself (laughs) and other non-duality speakers is very much in the realm of the bleeding obvious. So when I say the world cannot be in any regard other than what it is, while some people's kind of moral sense might hate that and might react against that. In another sense, it's just absolutely obvious that that is the
0: case. Mm. And moral morality, while we're on that point. uh, Would you perceive that to just be pure conditioning of culture?
1: Um, no, not at all. I think a lot of it's to do with, um, you see, you see, again, we're very tricky because I've already talked about the absence of time and space. And now I'm going to talk about evolution. Where can evolution happen? Well, let's leave that aside for the moment. As since you've raised uh, morality, and I mean, in a way we could say, I mean, I'm very interested in that. And we could spend, you know, two or three hours talking about that. Mm. And we could also say it's entirely irrelevant to what we're talking about here. But yeah. since you've raised it, I say, no absolutely of course it's not um, entirely to do with conditioning it, it's a, to a very large extent it's to do with our evolved psychology you can't understand um, morality unless you understand at least something about evolutionary psychology mm. which explains why partly partly explains why uh, you know the kind of fundamentals of morality tend to be the same in, in you know in every culture
0: yeah but on an absolute level yeah it's just is what it is again yes
1: on an absolute level what happens is what happens everything is what it is and then the mind comes in and labels it good or bad god or devil yeah sinful or
0: not sinful
1: Mm. exactly yeah
0: and psychology uh, were you a psychologist or a psychiatrist or I certainly was not a psychiatrist. Um, yes,
1: I did. I did a postgraduate training in humanistic psychology, right, and quite a lot of training in um, counselling and therapy. Yeah. How do you reconcile that with non-duality? I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. There's no need to reconcile non-duality with anything. Right. Um, so,
0: so when you're sitting with a, with a with a I don't know, call it a client or a patient or or, or whatever and they've got all these seeming problems apparent problems that are showing up for for them do do you come at it from a place of non-duality or do you come at it from a place of i can help this person
1: can i can i change the terms of the question slightly because that's not what i did i was actually um i was actually a trainer right more than the practice i mean i have done some one-to-one practice but not very much i was uh mostly a trainer okay but if i could turn that around um hopefully it's the sort of same question from a different perspective if somebody was talking to me about you know that they were thinking of going to get some psychotherapeutic help mm-hmm. of any kind and if they had a feeling for non-duality, if that was important to them, or even more so if there was actually a kind of, you know, if there had been a realisation or a seeing here. The one piece of uh, advice, I've been professionally trained not to give advice, but the one piece of advice I would give is it's probably best if you go to see a therapist who also has a feel for non-duality, preferably a therapist who's awake, but if they're not awake... (laughs) at Mm. least they've got a feel for non duality. Mm. Because um, otherwise, what tends to happen if somebody who's had a non dual awakening, or is even an interest in this, if they, if they share what's going on for them with a therapist who doesn't have a feel for that, the therapist is quite likely to pathologize them unnecessarily. So that could look like they'll, they'll see they'll see pathology. Where what's actually being described is simply how the world
0: tends to be experienced if this shift has occurred, so there might be uh diagnosed with schizophrenia or something along those lines it's
1: possible um more likely something like disassociation yeah
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I mean to the uh, for the same reasons um I mean, again, I don't give advice, but pretending I do, if, uh, you know, if if there's been an awakening to this, it's probably quite a good idea to be careful who you talk about it to in your Mm -hmm. own family Mm -hmm. and within your own friendship group, Mm -hmm. and particularly if you're involved with a religious group to anybody in that, because again, there might be a tendency Amongst people who have no feel for this whatsoever, to unnecessarily pathologize what's happened and to become very concerned about you, and perhaps from you know very well-meaning motives, you know try to call in help or something like that. All of which is you know at the at the very least um, extremely tiresome. Mm-hmm. It's best avoided. In a way, the best thing to do with this. If you you know, unless you really know the other person has a feel for it, the best thing to do with it is probably just just keep quiet. People talk to me. People ask me. They, they they people talk to me about how they can talk to other people about this. And I think, well, why would you want to talk to other people about this? I don't mean what, you know, talking, mm. this sort of thing, we we know we're interested. Hopefully people who watch this on YouTube will be interested. But why would you want to talk about your Uncle Harry? Why would you want to talk to your Uncle Harry about this? Unless Uncle Harry has shown that he's interested it'd be kind of mad to go up to uncle harry and start talking hey uncle harry did you know there's no such thing as a person and you don't exist <laughs> i mean if yeah. you start doing that then you can't really be surprised if uncle harry calls a psychiatrist
0: yeah yeah that, that's a very fair point it does seem that uh the average person loves to share what they're picking up though right and and get it out of themselves into the world so maybe it's just a natural thing that's taking place
1: so i've seen many people get hurt like that i know i agree it's absolutely yeah. natural and i've seen many people get hurt by that um, mm-hmm. i don't mean seriously hurt mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. bruised but i mean it's nothing like that it doesn't matter either you know who cares but if you want to avoid the bruising
0: yeah, yeah, sure. Don't
1: go up to a bunch of strangers in the pub and say, "There's no self. You don't <laughs> exist. There's no you." Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, do that
0: if you want to fight, but not otherwise. Mm. And you know, like every uh, a person's working life. Um, maybe you could share your background in this sense. The, does your working life evolve and adapt? based on this experience or non-experience, as it were? Or is it easier? Is it more difficult?
1: I don't think there's any, uh, there's no rules about this. All I would say in general is that there can be a stunning and staggering, or in other cases, just a slight loss of motivation when this is seen. So it can be a problem in that sense. Mm. You know, Whatever it is that we've been motivated to do, I mean, it might, it could be our work, Uh, It could be, you know, that we've been devoted to our guru and we've been running a little ashram with meditation meetings in our house doesn't really matter. There's likely to be a big shift in motivation with Mm. this. However, I remember, I I really remember, I'm going to say one of the earliest talks. This is actually the first talk I ever gave about non duality. And somebody in the audience said, well, this sounds terrible. He said, "Because you know, if this happened to me, then I wouldn't want to get up and go to work in the morning." So I just, I looked at him and I said, "Look, do you live in a house?" Uh, he said, "Yes." Said, do you have a mortgage? He said, yeah. I said, "Do you like living in a house, or would you be prefer to live in a ditch?" And he said, "No, I like living in a house." I said, "Well, in that case, if this happens, that that character will probably still get up in the morning and go to work." to pay Mm. the mortgage, to go on living in the house, it doesn't necessarily make any difference.
0: Mm. Mm. And also,
1: you see, we have no idea. (laughs) I want to use a really mischievous phrase here. This is totally mischievous. I mean, there are no awakened ones, but I want to use the phrase, you know, we have no idea who the awakened ones are. You see, so the next time you call an Uber, Mm your Uber driver may not be there. And I don't mean that your Uber taxi hasn't turned up. I mean, you might be being driven around Wolverhampton, or in my case, London, by an Uber driver who isn't there in the sense that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, conceptually, I'd always had this idea that... uh, People who had experienced something like this or not experienced it, as it were, would be some like, you know, just sitting on a pillow in the house meditating all day. Um,
1: Well, what I do, sorry to interrupt you, I mm -hmm. usually hover three or four inches above the floor (laughs) most of the day as I meditate. Levitating, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, And obviously, when I started listening to people like yourself, Tony Parsons and Jim Newman, it was just like, oh, these are just normal guys who, uh, are saying things that make complete sense or no sense to me, but there's such a strong resonance there that I can't put it down. And um, it seems to me, again, this is just the mind speaking here, that it's sort of the end of the seekingness. I've done it with work and business. I've tried to make loads of money. That was one way of doing it. And then I went into spirituality quite in depth. That's another way of doing it, just of a different type. Uh, And this just seems to just wipe all that away. But I don't want that to be a concept in my own mind, which paradoxically to me creates the concept in of itself. So I get stuck in, I want the end of seeking, but I don't want that to be a concept in of itself. Does that make sense? It makes sense.
1: Um, And what happens is what happens. So if that wanting comes up, it comes up. It's perfectly understandable. And I think what you're describing is very common. Mm. And for the seeker, the seeker can't help seeking for whatever it might be: power, money, sex, mm. who knows, who cares? Um, religious truth, God. Um, but in our cases, you know, in in, in those of us who are cursed, <laughs> cursed with the curse of a, an interesting non-duality, it's probably more likely to be spiritual seeking. Mm um and there may be you know this one i mean for me it was a wonderful wonderful spiritual fairground for spiritual seeking people by these wonderful magical figures you know gurus with huge guru hats and huge great long guru beards and <laughs> garlands of flowers and you know very attractive devotees many of you know some of whom the gurus were doing very naughty things with when Mm. the disciples weren't looking etc it's the collapse of all of that i mean that was great fun but it is the collapse of all of that the recognition that
0: you know yeah so
1: the you could say if you like the recognition that you know every everyone and everything is equally ordinary, or everyone and everything is equally special. Mm. Doesn't yeah. matter which way
0: round you put it. Yeah, I've heard Tony Parsons call it the beloved. Yeah. And I heard you say unconditional love before, but also suggest that that doesn't come anywhere near it. Could you potentially just expand on that, please? Um, We have to
1: use words, and the phrase unconditional love just seems to be, to me, the best phrase to describe what's seen. You see, I talk about, very often, I mean, this is very much a time-bound story, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, when this goes up on YouTube, we'll get comments from the advisor police that I'm <laughs> way out of line by saying this. But, you know, I really don't give a fuck. You know, I'm it's old enough not to care. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I've lost my thread. What was I going to say? Yeah, that sometimes, often, experience, this isn't an experience, but experientially, ah, there can be two seeings and. I and others sometimes talk about this as the seeing of emptiness and the seeing of fullness. Mm. And you could say that the seeker is not dead. You know, seeking is not complete in the sense that it has completely collapsed until the seeing of fullness has been seen. So the seeing of emptiness is the seeing that there's no one here. Mm. After that, It's seen, if you like, that seeking is hopeless, and yet there is still a kind of seeking energy, so there may be despair. What ends the seeking energy finally, and what ends despair finally, is the seeing that although this, and by this I mean this and that, not that they're different, because they're not, but this and that are not just empty, they're also full, As soon as I've said that, as soon as anyone said that, the listener is entitled to say, well, what are they full of? Are they full of porridge? Are they full of white bait? No, they're full of unconditional love. And the only reason to use the phrase unconditional love is it seems here, the best phrase to use. And if anybody else has got a better phrase, great, use it.
0: Mm.
1: So that would be what? Well, what I want to add to that, you know, this is a kind of important point that sometimes it's missed. Sometimes people ask a question to it that, 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 that the important word in that phrase is not the word love; it's the word unconditional, and it's the difficult word because the suggestion from here is that almost everyone, I guess, everyone apart from the, um, you know, the actual um, so, the people with psychopathic. Uh, personality disorder everyone else in some way or other has some kind of handle on what love is in some way or other the difficult word there is unconditional because the mind or if we like the apparent mind of an apparent person always lives in conditionality yeah so Well, to put it at its simplest, if if love is unconditional, it includes everything. If it includes everything, it includes that which Richard, the character, most hates. But Richard's mind, which is irrelevant here, so it doesn't matter, but nevertheless, Richard's mind cannot get round that through it, underneath it, or over the top of it. Richard's mind cannot get that what Richard most hates is also included in unconditional love. But that doesn't matter because Richard's mind has got nothing to do with this seeing. So even though Richard's mind can never get that, nevertheless, it can be seen. That Mm. unconditional love is simply the case.
0: At all times, regardless of self or no self
1: there is no time so not at all times no there no No. just this there's just this and it may be seen that this is an outpouring of unconditional love right now if you, you you can well imagine you could say this there are a vast number of apparent people out there that you could say this to who will become immediately outraged by this and will say, how can you say that, Richard? Have you seen what's going on in the world? And then we can have a bit of a fight. And usually, you know, we set a stopwatch and see how long it is before somebody mentions Hitler. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, generally. I'm
1: sorry, you know. Yeah. Because all I could say, is I'm <laughs> sorry, you know. You know, as a kind of individual, as a character, I feel like, you know, on behalf of oneness, on behalf of non-duality, I want to apologize for how appalling this is that unconditional love is never the in spite of Hitler <laughs> unconditional love is nevertheless the case. You know, and if anybody out there really wants to have a go at me or at any other non duality speaker who might say this, all I can say is, and what's more, you're
0: the one that's doing it. <laughs> you're doing it. You see, my mind goes to when you said it's like an outpouring of unconditional love, my mind went to by who or by what. Yeah. It course. needs a linear process to go from A to B to C. So it's naturally gone. Okay so what is doing that which inevitably in my mind goes god yeah or something similar to that um i don't know where the question is in this but could you sort of expand on that would would you like this to be an
1: outpouring of unconditional love from god would the, would you like that
0: i don't really care if it is or it isn't really i don't know
1: well, if you don't care I don't care so if you don't care and I don't care let's you know let's forget about God but if there's anyone out there listening to mm. this who wants it to be an outpouring you know from God have it it doesn't matter it doesn't make any difference
0: yeah
1: I suppose I suppose
0: God, I'm God. just trying to get to truth whatever <laughs> that whatever that is
1: well tr- there is uh, truth is an idea truth, truth is just an idea forget about truth
0: right.
1: Because it's just the mind, you know, kind of scrabbling around in the swamp of reality, trying yeah. to come up with an idea that satisfies, satisfies her, forget about truth. So I, you know, there's no need to bring God into this. But if you want God, have her. Mm. You know, if you'd like this to be an outpouring, you know, of love, unconditional love from God, then have
0: her. Mm.
1: But it's just an unnecessary thought. And don't and and, and notice that whilst you're having God, in the story of Alex, or in the story of Richard, or in the story of Fred, who might be watching this YouTube video, while you're having God, she's only there while you're having her. So you know, maybe you'll have God for about 30 seconds in your thought processes in the story of time. So God exists, she exists for 30 seconds, you know, and then the next thing is going to be, you know, I'd like a cup of tea now, or my um, ears itching. Mm. Or, you know, I, oh, she's nice walking down the street. So you know, whatever's arising is arising. So yeah. if God, as the source of unconditional love is arising, well, that's what's happening. And then the next thing is the cat jumps on my lap. So now it's the cat that's arising. And now the cat is the source of conditional love. Mm. Because the cat only loves me as long as I feed her.
0: Yeah. and You're going to inevitably piece off a lot of religious type of people. Yes. Uh, A lot of the Eastern traditions in particular talk about reincarnation a lot. Yes. I'm going to suppose, correct me if I'm wrong here, that you perceive that to be complete nonsense because there's nothing to reincarnate?
1: No, I'd say that we've just leapt fairly and squarely and very obviously into the realm of the unknowable. That's what I'd say. I mean, there are people that would say what you've just suggested. I've got no quarrel with that. That's fine. But when it comes to anything like that, I'd say it's unknown. I mean, this used to be an obsession of mine when I was still a seeker, but I got involved with non duality. And one of my um, trips with speakers that I would go to is, uh, you know, I would, I would try to create the most precise question about death. And what happens after death, in inverted commas, notice the inverted commas, you you know, not not to trick the speaker, but to try to draw out of them something Mm. I could understand. Sure. I remember one afternoon before a talk, I met a philosopher friend of mine in the pub, and we constructed the most divinely perfect question about death, and what happens for the speaker? And this is the one that's going to nail it down. Of course, it didn't. It didn't get anywhere. <laughs> no questions about death ever do. Mm. So if anybody who's giving talks on non-duality wants to sort of just, you know, dismiss them and just say what you just said, fine. I have no quarrel with that. But all I'll say is it's unknowable. And once it's seen that it's under what what tends to I would say you see that what tends to happen in the seeing of this is that death ceases to be the kind of issue that it may have been before not because there's any knowledge about death that appears but because it is now recognized that it's unknowable so who cares what's the point so Mm. it can be dropped it may not be dropped. Maybe the mind might still enjoy mm. kind of cogitating about it, but mm. it's likely to be seen that that's completely pointless. Mm. So is- I know, you know, I know there's plenty of um, non-duality speakers. You know, any any questions about, say, you know, karma, da 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 da. You know, the standard answer is, you know, it's 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 a story. It's just a story. So again, the ad- advisor police might be on my case for this. Um, but I think what is absolutely clear is it's unknowable. Yeah. So so no past life regressions for you. do so forget it. I did. I used to do lots of. Now watch the air quotations again. <laughs> many many years ago, I I got involved in past life regression. I have had many past life experiences. Air quotations. Some of those were induced by. um processes in therapy and some of them i've just spontaneously mm. noticed the air quotations who knows? You know their thoughts their
0: images they what who knows who mm. cares i always question why everyone ends up like king henry the eighth or something no one's you know. no one's just john from down the street no no they
1: are you know this is a misconception i uh. actually funny enough i had a conversation with another non-duality speaker about this and they said exactly the same thing how come that everybody's you know, mm. you know, they're Cleopatra, they're never the Cleopatra. <laughs> actually, yeah. if you know anything about the experiences of past life regression, that is absolutely not true. Right. Usually, past life regressions are extremely, in terms of the status of the person, are extremely dull and boring.
0: Right. Yeah, I've yeah. only ever seen the things on YouTube and uh, I'm seeing people talk about that there's some wonderful philosopher and I'm just thinking, come on...
1: Well, maybe they. It's it's that's unusual. Believe me, I've been involved in the world of past life past life regression. I was not now, but many mm. years ago, I was very involved with it for quite a long time. Right. And that is um that, that's not the usual case. Right. Uh, usually, you know, past please life forgive me, past lifers. You know, it's usually you know some 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 vision of some miserable foot soldier being hacked to death on the fields at Waterloo or something like. <laughs> Mm. That. It, yeah. it's very unlikely to be napoleon it's much more likely to be some miserable
0: coric, <laughs> dying foot soldier <laughs> uh richard let's talk about uh suffering if you would oh god do we have to no we don't have to but but we're going, <laughs> we're going to, to anyway try,
1: but we won't get anywhere with yeah it. On, suffering do,
0: do, do you think the root of suffering is purely from the sense of separation that's it no, absolutely not. A toothache is a toothache. A toothache is toothache. Mm. But you don't have to suffer from this toothache. Well, you.
1: You don't have to. We could get very philosophical here um, mm. about what that word suffering means. So I'm go- I'm just sort of for the moment, maybe we'll do that. Maybe mm. we'll drill down into this in some depth. So at the, but at the moment, I'm just going to be very naive and simplistic about it. You know, toothache fake is toothache. fake. It doesn't make mm. any difference whether this has been seen through or not. Mm. So we could say, okay, if we want to drill down into that a little further, there are certain kinds of suffering, which are less likely to arise when this is
0: seen. So, so psycholog- toothache, toothache is not one of those. Yeah, so psychological suffering, then, or spiritual suffering, What do you suggest that uh, that tends to happen?
1: I'm I'm tempted to say there is a very, very high chance that when this is seen, spiritual suffering ends. Now, if we wanted to go into that a lot more, we probably don't. We'd need to really then sort of say, well, what exactly do we mean by spiritual suffering? But for the moment, let's just leave it at that. I would say that spiritual suffering, there's an extremely high chance that that will end um, when this is seen. Uh, emotional pain, feelings, and so forth. It depends what you mean by suffering and pain. You see, I would say, I mean, I mean, one of the things I I, one of the things I I talk about sometimes is, you know, there are certain what we could call basic core feelings and emotions, which are entirely natural. And these fortunately do include joy and love, but they also include fear, anger, and Mm -hmm. sorrow fear, anger, and sorrow, natural feelings, you know, they're just as... I, I don't know about just as likely, but, you know, you know, just as, you know, the Zen thing says, you know, before liberation carry... Uh, yeah, water. you know, carry water, after yeah. liberation carry water. You could say before liberation, um, anger, sadness, after liberation, anger, sadness. Um, there's at least one Uh, I think a Zen master, I'm not absolutely sure, but anyway, there's at least one Buddhist master who um, said, um, even in the greatest yogi, joy and sorrow still arise. And there's another one that said that no one knows sorrow more than a Zen master. So the idea that somehow we can banish these very, very natural Mm. phenomena of feelings is kind of it's really, it's a bit infantile, really. Mm. But what I would say is that there is a kind of neurotic suffering. So there's, there's a lot of feelings that be called could be called neurotic, for example, embarrassment, um, irritability, um, anxiety, anxiety rather than fear, irritability rather than anger. Um, for example, and the neurotic feelings, because they come more from the person and from the personal story, are likely either to die or to very much diminish when this is seen, when the person's seen through.
0: Right.
1: Uh, the other thing that tends to happen, suffering is often maintained by the story in the head that I am telling And the more neurosis there is in me, in me, the more suffering will be maintained in that way, you know, the nagging neurotic story that can go on for minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, even years, even years, Mm -hmm. even decades. Mm -hmm. There's a high likelihood that that kind of neurotic suffering will collapse or diminish or perhaps collapse completely when this is seen. Because the story in the head is much more likely to be seen through, rather than to be taken seriously. Mm. But natural feelings, as I've said, anger, sadness, fear, as well as joy, happiness, love. Why should they not continue to arise? Of course they will.
0: Yeah. Are you aware of UG Krishnamurti? Oh, yes. Yeah, he wrote, well, he did, I don't think he wrote the book, but someone wrote a book called mind is myth. Okay. And he suggests that there is no mind. in sort, of and course, and essentially, psychology is a completely flawed concept, because you're studying something that's not there. Uh, the
1: Big leap from the first to the second. So let's deal with that first. Of course, okay. there's no such thing as a mind, there is simply an ever changing flow of impressions, which cre- may create one of those impressions may be that there's a mind. You know, in other words, there's just this dynamic flow and change, but it might create the impression that there's something solid called a mind. So mm. that's the first thing. So totally agree with that. Um then to jump from that to then saying airily, well, therefore, of course, psychological yeah. crap, it's a great line. And it's a great line for, you know, a a, a spiritual teacher, a non duality teacher that wants to shock people, slap them (laughs) around the face, quick, quick, then slap around the face. I love it. But it's also nonsense, you know, that Mm. just as a, you know, I mean, we could say, uh, you know, we could say there's no such, you know, there's, there's only this, there are no separate objects. So there's no such thing as a spanner. Well, you try and repair your fucking car, in you know how <laughs> yeah. see how far you get. A spanner is fucking useful when it comes to repairing your car, and psychology is occasionally useful yeah. when it comes to repairing, in inverted commas, a mind. Well, mm. not not repairing it, just understanding it. You see, I've already I've already said, you know, I mean, if you want to understand human behaviour and the mind. Yeah. you have no chance i would say no chance at all unless you understand something about evolutionary psychology mm. obviously some not everybody's going to agree with that of course but that's you know that's that's my stance yeah. so now you come in and say well that's nonsense because there's no such thing as a mind i agree <coughs> with you mm. there's no such thing as evolution i agree with you there's no such thing as time in which evolution could take place I agree with you. (laughs) Now let's go back to what I first said. Nevertheless, you want to understand the shit that goes down in the minds of the people that drive you mad. Your best bet is to get a little bit of understanding of evolutionary psychology because you're going to be lost without it. Mm. So again, it's the same thing. I totally agree there's no such thing as a spanner but you're not going to repair your car without one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is all paradox. Isn't yes. It? There it's it is paradox. again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And a big thing at the moment, uh, you've probably seen it, Richard, all over the internet is something called sense making. You, you haven't heard I, that. Okay. I
1: thought, I thought I thought I was sort of up with the model. Oh, okay.
0: What's this? Tell me. Uh, gosh. Evolutionary psychology, uh, you, you know about that. I'll, do you know Ken Wilber? Ken Wilber, you aware of him? Well, <laughs> yes, I'm afraid I know rather more about Ken Wilber than I want
1: to. I even wrote a bit about him in one of my books. Oh. Yeah, I do know about Ken Wilber. I have done for a long time. Okay, but we don't need to go down that route. But... No, let's not. Okay. Uh, way, I mean, if you want a story maker, there's Ken Wilber,
0: yeah. Okay, Spiral Dynamics, do you know about that? Say again. Spiral dynamics.
1: Yes, I've come across the term, and I don't, I, I, for the life of me, I don't know what it is.
0: But okay. The absolutely. reason, the only reason I bring them up, because sense making is what spiral dynamics will consider tier two. So essentially, it jumps from tier one, which is uh, nobody really understands one another, to tier two, where it's more of a, a holistic, complex view, where we begin to understand everybody else's psychology and blah blah blah. So sense making is a big thing at the moment. Very very smart. Intellectual people talking about it. Does this come? Um, does it come from Ken Wilber? No, it doesn't. Uh, integral theory is a big
1: part yeah, of it. I, I know a, about integral theory. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, actually, I think it's best we don't talk about Ken Wilber and in integral theory because I know from my own YouTube channel mm. that YouTube has criteria for offensive language and so forth. So if we, if you get me talking about Ken Wilber, the okay. YouTube video might get banned.
0: We'll end the recording, know? Richard. We'll end the recording later and I'll ask you a question about Ken Wilber. Anyway, um so sense making. I mean
1: I'd like to say that Ken Wilber probably thinks as little, probably probably thinks as little of, of my writings as I do of his, but
0: actually of course not because Ken Wilber won't have heard of me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh in terms of where I can't even remember why I brought that up now, to be honest. Uh, but it was to do with making sense of reality and giving meaning to things, yeah. how we give meaning to the world, which is how we make sense of it. And I'm in this paradox, as you've mentioned there, with regards to the spanner, I'm going, the meaning that we are giving to things is a complete illusion, it's not there, it's not real. However, I can completely see how, when we don't have a sense of meaning as an individual, we can get lost in an ocean of philosophy and and all these other things. And it can, from my experience of working with other people, lead them into a psychological breakdown slash breakthrough.
1: can can i interrupt and say something really important here right there is a universe of difference between a person who doesn't have a sense of meaning which often is a very very sad individual yeah and an individual in you know who can be in extreme difficulties there's a huge difference uh, there's a universe of difference between a person who doesn't have a sense of meaning and uh, I, i'm i'm'm I'm, I'm looking for a word here because i can't say a person or an individual and the case where meaning has been seen through because the person has collapsed not only are they not the same they're almost opposites yeah so you you in the seeing of this meaning collapses and that is glorious and freeing or it, it may be glorious and freeing mm. that has nothing to do with a person, in other words, some, you know, a a psychophysical system where there is the belief in separation, Mm -hmm. and the experience of separation, who's kind of lost because there's no sense of meaning. So they're not not the same as a gulf between them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So meaninglessness for the person who lacks meaning. and he's depressed is completely different to the meaninglessness of somebody who has the self has dropped away.
1: Someone who has seen that this is gloriously meaningless. I'm the I'm the I am the originator of it's in my it's in my first book. I think but I'm the originator of the great mantra: helpless, hopeless, and meaningless. Mm. And I've told this story many a times, but um, that that mantra actually popped into my head, maybe God, maybe she put it in my head, who knows, actually, when I was a meet uh, in a meeting at Nathan Gill, many years ago at the Study Society in London, and Mm. I just spontaneously blurted it out. Um, And then in the tea break, a friend of mine, he was in the meeting, came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Richard, that was the most depressing thing I have ever heard anyone say. Mm. And I kind of immediately started to apologise to them. And they said, <laughs> No, 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 no. It was wonderful. Mm. It, OK, that's a bit of a paradox. And, yeah, it's not that much of a paradox. You know, it shouldn't be difficult in a conversation like this to see how How to say that everything is meaningless, hopeless, you know, (coughs) we are helpless. It is hopeless. (coughs) Excuse me. Everything is meaningless. (coughs) For a conversation like this, it should be obvious why. That is not as doer as it sounds mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had this discussion uh, numerous times, as you say, down the pub over a beer. It's never really worked out too well. Um, <laughs> the idea of free will is obviously a big conversation in this arena, the non-duality arena. Uh, Do you, I hate, uh, I don't know how to phrase the question, but do you subscribe to the idea of no free will?
1: I'm gonna say something terribly shocking here, maybe again for the advisor, please, but then I'll follow it up. No, I absolutely do not subscribe to the idea of no free will. What I subscribe to, and it's not an idea, Mm. It's the actuality that there is no one who can operate free will, but much more primary. So free will collapses when it's seen that there's no one who can possess free will. So I'm being being a little mischievous here. Mm. Because if we ignore non duality and just look at this philosophically, yeah, I would say yes, actually, I do agree. There is no possibility of free will. I don't think there's the possibility of free will on any level. And I've, you know, written a chapter in one of my books about it, and I've made YouTube videos about it. But what I'm really saying when I'm saying no to that is that there is something more primary than no free will. No individual or person who can exercise free will. And that's the difference between what somebody like me is saying, and then the usual kind of arguments that you get about why free will cannot exist, which are often expressed Mm. very well and very clearly Mm. by other people. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's something more fundamental than there is no free will much more
0: fundamental is there is no one who could own free will. So to use your example earlier, you brought up Adolf Hitler. So I'm going to use him and everybody does it. The guy did what he did. There was nobody there doing that. It's just an unfoldment. It's just life happening. Apparently,
1: yes, isn't that shocking? Maybe it's incredibly freeing, I think yes if you you see if we want to have a if we wanted to make a different kind of uh video here and have a discussion about moral philosophy then we could do it but it's not what we're doing Mm. let's stick with what you're saying and maybe you can expand on what you just said there that it's incredibly freeing because i agree
0: with you it absolutely is It, it seems to me uh you mentioned unconditionality that to me is is the unconditional freedom yeah, you know,
1: and it's desperately easy to misunderstand. Mm. And I do, I, I, another incident that happened to me when I was giving a talk, which I've also written about, is I had somebody. You know, I was talking about, you know, um, this lack of no free will, no person to operate free will, therefore no free will. And she said, and she was actually a friend of mine in this talk, and she you know, a very nice, uh, very nice, well-meaning person. And she looked at me and said, well, if what you're saying is right, then I can go out and murder people on the street. <laughs> yeah. And this is what it gets turned into. I'm saying there's no one there. And so what she's hearing is me saying there's someone there who can go and murder people on the streets, and that's okay because there's no free will. That's the level of difficulty in understanding what's being said Mm. when anyone says the person doesn't exist. Not free will doesn't exist, but the person doesn't exist. It's so much deeper than that.
0: Yeah. Jim Newman said to me, uh, this one stuck with me, he said, oh, no, there is definitely choice, just choice for no one.
1: Um, yeah, you see, it's it's a question of words. I'm going to say I'd argue with Jim about that. But we're yeah. probably arguing about the use of words rather than anything yeah, else. sure. Mm. You See, what I would prefer to say is um, a decision appears and a decision is made by no one. For me, I mean, OK, yeah, it's 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 not an argument with Jim. It's just how I use language and how we he uses language. For me, the word choice doesn't make any sense without a chooser. And there is no yeah. chooser, so there's no choice. Nevertheless, decisions are made. Now, somebody might say, well, a decision doesn't make sense without a decider to which I'd say, well, I'm sorry, we've reached the limits of language. So that would be my choice of words. So a decision is made, mm-hmm. but no one decides. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a restaurant. I'm looking at a me- menu. I'm looking at a menu. Will it be the fish or the meat? Fish, meat, fish, meat, fish, meat, I'll have the meat, please. So a decision has been made, but no one's made it. I would, I would not call that a choice. Because I mean, partly, partly because I think, you know, philosophically, if you're going to have a philosophical discussion about choice, and I'm interested in that, I think it's a a fun way to pass an afternoon. Mm. Um, Then I think, for me, I would use a different kind of language. Mm. So I say there's no choice, there's no chooser, there's no choice, and yet
0: decisions are apparently made. Mm. So in your 30 years, as you put it earlier, of of this seeking, was there? Was it a very ordinary seeking journey without going too much into depth of the story? Was it was it just very, very ordinary? No, No, not ordinary. Okay. Oh, it
1: was incredibly exciting. It was wonderful. It was lovely. It had gurus and meditation and groups and, you know, these kind of, you know, Est and things like that, these kind of wonderful new-agey um, psychotherapeutic torture groups, mm-hmm. you know, where you were lo- locked in a room with 200 other people and not allowed to go out and pee, <laughs> you know, while, the, mm-hmm. you know, somebody on stage harangued you and sort of tore your personality to shreds. It was great. All that Esselin, that stuff that used to come kind of came over from Esselin, you know, this really kind of, you know, punch you in the face kind of, um, mm. you know, confrontation. That punch you in the face is metaphorical, not literal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh,
1: so exciting. And yeah. Plus all the lovely spiritual stuff, the, you know, the meditations to Tibetan gongs and gurus in robes and monks and mm. lamas and, oh,
0: Sense of it
1: sounds great, such a fairground.
0: <laughs> and the yeah. sense,
1: by the way, also, I have to say the wonderful sense that somehow I was getting somewhere. You know, my mm. Richard's little devotee feet were very slowly getting higher up the mountain of enlightenment. That's a wonderful feeling mm. until it collapses. Mm.
0: Do you see the question always comes up in my mind, and it's come up with a few people I've spoken to, Would the cloak have fallen off if you hadn't have gone through that work? There's two answers to that
1: for me and they lead to the same place. Um, One is I'm simply going to say there's no cause and effect. Yeah, make of that what you like. Mm. And the other answer if you don't like the first one is it's unknowable. So who cares? You see what happens? What is what happens here? What pretending there was a past here? What happened was 30 years of spiritual seeking? That's mm. what happened. You know, for another divine puppet or individual, what happens is not 30 years of spiritual seeking what happens is 30 years of darts playing in the pub. In either case, awakening may or may not occur. Apparently, Mm. Parent awakening may or may not occur in either case. It's yeah. really frustrating. Yeah. No, no wonder, no wonder <laughs> people get angry about this. I mean Did people you... get angry. I mean, people get angry about you know the transubstantiation of you know the blood of Jesus in Holy Communion, whether that's symbolic or real. Think how much angrier they're gonna get about the suggestion that there's no person.
0: <laughs> Richard, I've uh I'd love speaking to you. Um it, good personality paradoxically enough good humor. Yeah, thank you for thank you for coming on. I appreciate it and other listeners will uh, will enjoy it. So uh where can people check you out? Are you on YouTube?
1: Um best way is go to my YouTube channel. I'm becoming I've I've been very inactive for some time but now I've become much more active. So at the moment there's usually a probably a couple of new videos going up about every week. Oh, cool. And I'm uh, I'm producing, I just mentioned this, I'm producing a series of videos called um, What is Non-Duality? And each one is quite short. It just takes one particular aspect of the topic or subject. Yeah. Uh, some of them are as short as three minutes, some of them as, as long as 20 minutes. And I think we're now up to episode 20. And one of those goes up roughly once a week. So, yeah, okay. check that out if you want. There's a website also. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the links below. Richard, thank you for joining me.
1: I've enjoyed it, Alex. Thank you Good. very much for giving me your time. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.